Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're here in your presence this morning your promised presence, just looking to receive all that you have for us, and God, give you all that you're due. And so, Lord, we know that um, to be able to live lives that really worship you and honor you, we, we need you. We need you, God, just like we sang. We need you to work in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, to make all things new. God, to continue to renew ourselves, our lives from the inside out. And so as we come before you this morning as a community that, regardless of where we're at, we're all in the same place, we're in need of Jesus, we just pray, Jesus, that you would shepherd us today as, as your people. If there's people here that, that don't know you yet as shepherd, that they would be brought to you today. And that, God, you would, you would lead us with your voice this morning, the voice that we can reliably trust in through your word. So God, may your word be preached today. May um, anything of me that's not of you just fall to the ground, and may ultimately the work of your spirit and the instrument of your word have its way. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be here, and that God, you would speak to us. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you have your seat? Okay. Well, 2 Corinthians 5 Verses 14 through 17, this is our section this morning, uh, that falls in the greater context of a series that we're doing here for the month of January, 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 I don't want to say it like that, but January, the series is called All Things New, All Things New. Starting in February, we're going to uh, begin a journey through the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians, which is kind of our, our norm here as a church, is walking through books of the Bible. Um, but as we enter a new year, we are... Um, we, really just reminded of the theme of new, first and foremost. Uh, our culture um, obviously has somewhat of an obsession of for the new. They celebrate the new every year. There's something about the new that draws us to party on December 31st and take off work on January 1st. Um, but really, that longing for the new, we believe as a church, right? We know this from Scripture, is really and ultimately a longing for God who makes all things new who makes all things new. This is one of the, kind of the themes of the Bible story, of the story of history and of the future of the world. That despite what sin has done to bring corruption and deadness and the same old, same old brokenness, Jesus is the one who enters the story to make things new again. It's nothing like something old that's made new again. Are you with me? Okay, so Jesus comes to do that. He does that by creating a new people through a new covenant. That's what we studied last week, a new covenant. And we exist as a community of these new creations, giving kind of like a foretaste of what's to come, which is at the end of the age where God is going to make all things new. Everything will be renewed, placed back in its proper uh, place of being centered around God. And so we're just exploring this together. The, 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 this is one of the themes of, of Jesus' ministry, and we want this in our lives as well. So you might not be able to catch it. Maybe you can from your angle, but the tagline there is how Jesus leads us out of the old and into the new. Out of the old and into the new. That's what he wants for us. He wants to bring us from, from the old to the new. So we looked in the first week at a new year, just kind of the question of like, how would Jesus have us follow him out of an old year into a new year? Last week, we looked at an incredible passage in the book of Hebrews that talks about the new covenant and how God's heart is to lead his people out of the old covenant, which existed as a shadow to point to what? The new. You guys with me? All right. 
from the old to the new. Now this morning, uh, we talked about a new year last week, a new covenant. This morning, I want to talk from this idea of a new you. New year, new me. Maybe, maybe not, okay? Uh, In Christ, we'll say, you can say that, not because of a new year, but because of Jesus. But a new you. Obviously, we know that tagline, uh, and we know how the new year comes around as a fresh opportunity for people to reinvent themselves. There's something about a new year that provides that clean slate for people to say, this is my year. I'm going to be the me I've always wanted to be this year. Um, That's really what I think, at the center of our longing for the new, I think this is what's there. Humans are longing for new. Ultimately, we're looking to be new, right? We're looking for that. Um, There's just something about the human experience that gets tired of ourselves and the old. By the way, you ever been tired of yourself? I'm not sure that's ever happened to you. Okay. Maybe it's happened to other people. You're like, I'm tired of them. I want them to be a new you. Okay. And I'm sure there's some people that would say that about you. Okay. And we should, honestly, if we're, if we're being real about not just our strengths, but also the things that are done in secret and the things that only the people that really know us know about us, life will lead us to these points where we're like, God, I'm so tired of the same old, same old me. I'm so sick of the same old, same old sin, the same old brokenness, the same old Andrew, like... There's a sense in which that's a big part of the human experience. And, and because there's that desire to be new, everywhere you look, there's new opportunities to find yourself. That's what the culture, the culture sells this, right? Let me give you some examples of how in a new year, especially, and even just in our lives every day, we look to different new things to make us new. We look to new programs. Man, this year I'm going to start a new diet program. If I, once I get on this, I've done the whole 30, the keto, the beetle, I've done it, I've done it all, okay? I've tried every, the, the hard 75, I've done everything, but it's the new, it's the new, have you tried the new program, right? Have you tried the, no, you can't eat that. I know last year it was okay to eat that, and that was a part of losing weight and getting healthy, but this year, the people determined it's not good to eat anymore, that'll actually kill you faster, and so don't eat that, okay? Cold plunge every single morning at 5 a.m., and you'll live forever, Okay? All right, I'm being sarcastic and obviously hyperbolic, but this is so true, isn't it, in our culture? If I, and we think this ourselves. If I can just get a new program to my life, I just got to fix some things, adjust some things, then I can be new. Or we go, man, if I could just find some new passions, I'm just bored with the same old, same old life, man. I just need some, need some new hobbies. Pickleball, that's like the rage, right? If I, you look at those seniors, and they're just serving the business on those courts, and you're like, I've, maybe it's pickleball. Maybe the key to becoming new is pickleball, okay? <laughs> I, need some new, I need something new to do to reinvigorate my life and give me a new passion and fill in the blank for whatever that could be for you and I. New possessions, man. The reason why I feel so old and I need to, I need to become new because I've got such an old car. That's why I feel so old. Look at this thing, all right? Like, I don't even have, like, the newest Apple stuff. Like, the last car I had had, remember, the, remember before the day and age of technology where you'd have a cassette player and you put it in the cassette and a headphone jack came out of it and you plug that thing into a 20-pound iPod and you'd jam your way to the beach and that thing? But you're like, man, if I could just get some new stuff, then maybe I could become new. This is a big one. I just need some new people. I need a new person. How many marriages fail because instead of seeing your relationship as a covenant built on mutual service and love and sacrifice, it becomes a contract existing to provide something for you that only God can? And so you go, man, if I could, the problem with my life is I'm stuck with you. So what I'll do is I just need, if I get a new person, I just got to get a new you, then I'll be a new me. Just need a new relationship. The problem is you bring the same you to that new, new person. Do you know what I'm saying? So we can look to people. This is a big theme, too, in our culture, where it's like, cut out the toxic. The problem with your life is toxic people. You ever heard this? Toxic people. No, 
like, don't get me wrong. There's such a thing. Like, boundaries, healthy. There are people that it's like, it's really good for you to stay away from them. But this mindset that acts like you're the only pure one and everyone else is toxic, if they don't measure up to some standard of what you, like, some of this thinking, it's very obsessive and it's very dangerous even. What I mean by dangerous is it can cater to a, a form of pride that's a little dangerous. Uh, or new places. You know what it is? Just sick of South Florida. That's what it is. I, mountain air is calling me. That's what it is. I need a new place, a new country, a, a, a new state. I need, I need, a, new, I need a new environment. That, that's what I can do. The problems it's, with my life, it's not so much me. It's everything else around me. It's the system. You know, I wasn't, I'm not really a beach guy, more of a river guy. Got to move up there, okay? Or new prospects. Man, if I could just get that promotion, right? If I could secure that deal, if I could land that job, if my business can get to this place, if I can sell this much, then we're chasing to be someone. Do you see this, right, with all these things? And then lastly, I've, this is a real thing. This is not just another P word, okay? It is a P word, and I'm glad it fits in my pastoral flow of P words. But I've got to become someone even though it's not my true self, I got to become someone that more people will like. I got to take on a personality. I got to take on, I got to be funnier. I mean, people, th- I'm not even kidding you. This is real stuff. I've got to be more like this. I've got to be, so we try to reinvent ourselves by how can I change my personality? Not so much saying, God, how can you make me be more the authentic self you created me to be? But I just got to, All these different ways, look at this, all these different ways that we go about seeking to be the new person we're longing to be. Now let me say this, first and foremost, I'm not saying that God doesn't use these things to bring renewal in our lives, amen? God uses these things, we know that. He uses people and and passions and, and places. God brings renewal through all sorts of surprising ways. What I am saying is that none of these things and whatever else is not up on the screen that you're looking for to make you new, None of it is really able to deliver on the newness that you're longing for. Let me say that again. None of it is really able to deliver on the newness of what we're longing for. What these things do, I found this in my own life, is they tease out, they tease out the potential of newness just enough to keep us coming back again and again and again And again, it teases out enough newness to feel new, but it keeps me coming back for more newness. I I need another new thing. I need another, you've seen this pattern? I need another new place. I need another new church. I need another new person. I need another new thing. I mean, every noun, right? I I need something else new. And I believe that, um, let me say this, I believe that our enemy, there is a real spiritual enemy at work against your life, against the purposes of God in this world. And he knows how good these things can be, how, how they can shine and glimmer and call us away from God into um, idolatry. And, and so he, he capitalizes on that in our lives. Every new thing that comes up is a chance to find the new that we've been looking for. Um, and I want to say this, it's, it's evident all around us. Everywhere you look in our culture, the world is selling humanity some way to be new. And here's the big one. And find yourself. That's the problem. you got to find yourself. You want to be set free from the old you? You need to reinvent the new year. Come find It's amazing the kind of money and time and energy that people will spend to find themselves. To be the new you. They, they will go to really far tragic measures even. I look at our next generation and... All of the confusion around gender, all of the confusion around identity, and it's rooted in this. Uh, Who am I is the question. Who am I? And it's into this world. This world of the same old, same old. This world of, of people longing for the new, seeking to find themselves and make themselves new, that Jesus speaks, the gospel of Jesus speaks right into this, and it says... He says, stop. That's what he says. Stop trying to find yourself, okay? Here's, um, here's the message of the gospel. You don't need to find yourself. You need to find Jesus, who knows you better than you could ever know yourself. 
And he's the one, listen, he's the one who can make you new. He's the one who Paul says makes all things new. Here's a way to say this. Jesus offers substantially what culture sells us superficially. He offers it to us in a substantial way, substantial newness in Jesus. The newness we're really longing for. And we read it there in 2 Corinthians 5.17. I don't know if there is a more clear verse in the Bible that tells us, come to Jesus to be new. Any more clear than 2 Corinthians 5.17 where Paul says, and he proclaims what is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if anyone is in Christ, they go from being in their own lives, in Adam, in the flesh, to being in Christ through faith in the gospel, trusting in Christ. If anyone is new in Christ, or rather in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, when you come to Christ by faith, Paul is proclaiming the gospel here, and you trust in what he has accomplished, his, his spirit, this is a real spiritual reality. You come to Christ by faith. This is a Christian. A Christian isn't someone who got like a better version of their old life. We're those that come to Jesus with our lives as they are. We trust in his life and his death and his resurrection. And through our trust in him, his spirit, the Bible teaches, comes inside of you and makes you new. The theological word for this is regeneration. He rebrands you. He makes you brand new. Again, he doesn't you know, make you a better version of the old, which is most of what everything else is selling. How can I be a better version? He makes you new altogether. I love Titus. Chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, it says this, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, Paul speaking to other Christians, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating and hating, or sorry, hateful and hating one another. That's where we were. I love this. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appear, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, we don't religion our way that should have been another it's not a p but it could have been up there you know piousness hello all right we could have tried to religion our way into being new and it's like no works of righteousness won't do it but it's his mercy and his grace and according to his mercy he saved us and look at what he does when he saves us he washes us the washing of regeneration made new and the renewing of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through jesus christ this is the gospel. Uh, Paul is speaking here, by the way, this work of regeneration and renewal that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Jesus calls it being born again. Okay? Um, Paul here in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is saying that we are new. The old has passed away. The new has come. We're new creations. We're no longer defined by the first story of our creation. We're defined by a new creation in Christ. This is a spiritual reality. All right? This is a spiritual concept that Paul is encouraging us to trust in. It's a spiritual, you should think of it as like a, a fact of heaven that we trust in and believe in by faith. And the fact is, I'm not who I was, and I'm not who I would be apart from Jesus. And it's important to know this, that this is a spiritual reality, not just a physical reality. Because, like, all the time I feel old. Anybody else? Like, I have to trust in the truth of this sometimes. Because I'm like, oh, there's the same old Andrew again. I thought I was a new creation thought I became a Christian. And there's so much pressure, too, when you first become a Christian, and like drastic life change happens, and you're like, okay, I'm a Christian now, and God's given me a new heart, so I actually don't really want the same things anymore. But what happens when you've been following Jesus for so long, but you're still doing the same things that you used to do? It says here, like, we were disobedient. You're like, were? Good for you, you know? I could say I am disobedient sometimes or oftentimes. You know, what happens in, in that situation where you go, I'm still doing, I still have the same behaviors. And listen, whatever, like maybe your background of theology, which, which can often like subtly in churches, we grow up with this idea of like, if you come to the altar, then you better get it all together from this day forward. Fix it up, clean it up, line it up. And, and, and we got people today that are, they're, they're questioning their salvation because they're struggling with sin. And can I tell you what you need to do with your sin? You need to look at your sin through the lens of the cross. Not the lens of that person next to you or who you thought you should be by now. See, see it's a gospel reality that we trust in. We, we look at this, because sometimes you go, we, we don't feel that way. 
We feel like the same old, same old. And Paul is saying this is a truth that we must recognize. It's a very important passage of scripture where Paul speaks this to the church at Corinth. A church, listen closely, a church that has a history and a reputation as a community in Corinth there, really the people of Corinth, as being like, like um, you know, your stereotypical, they're the sinner. Like, that's where you, oh, that's where you're going, that city? Okay, Vegas, like, oh, you're going to Sin City. It's that kind of a thing. It's the New Orleans. It's like those are the sinners that live there and do the sinful things. And you have a church that's planted there. What a better place, you know, what better place to plant a church than Sin City? Be a city on the hill. But what happens is the people of the church, they start falling back into the same sins. They start syncretizing Christian living with secular living, and they're compromising. And I won't, I'll spare you the details, but it's like, you, you don't, sometimes you're reading, you're like, am I reading a Jerry Springer episode, or is this the Apostle Paul? I mean, it gets that gnarly in this, I'm not even being sarcastic. First Corinthians 5, whew, all right? Pastor, I've had some pastoral challenges, haven't been in First Corinthians 5 yet as in ministry, so Lord, we just pray against that. But... I mean, this church is really getting tied up. They're living in, in carnality and sin. And so what does the Apostle Paul do for this community? Does he beat them over their head and say, what are you doing? Behave better. You're a Christian now, right? That's what we, th- that's what we tend to think. Behave differently. No, Paul says this. He speaks a truth to them. He says, first, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's, first of all, sobering to his listeners. They're like, steeped in unrighteousness, right? Paul's like, don't don't you remember that unrighteousness is what separates us from God? And don't you know that those who live in unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he begins to list off these sins that that they have a history of and maybe even have present participation in. He says, "Don't, don't be deceived, neither fornication nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor, look at this in verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. And everyone's just kind of, it's almost like stand up if if you haven't struggled with this. And like at this point, everybody's sitting down. Do you get the idea? Paul's being exhaustive here to understand that there's a full spectrum here of sin struggle that separates us from God. He says this is, This is the condition. Those will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's sobering them up to think about their lives that they're living and what the consequences are. But in verse 6, 11, he says something about their identity. He says, such were. You see this? Were some of you. They're like, wait, Paul, you just named me. You just named my sin. He's like, such were. Some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. This is the good news of Jesus. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You might look around your life and not feel new. Look to the gospel. He points them back to their identities in Christ. This is really beautiful. Such were some of you. He's like, why are you being who you were? That's not who you are. That's who you were. It might be who you were, and it might be who you would be today apart from Jesus, but here's the good news of Jesus. Whatever that thing is about you, it's no longer who you are. This is a, a spiritual fact of heaven. We want to tr- bring our faith to that fact, but it's a reality regardless of how we feel today. The fact of heaven is if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. It is true over your life. The old has passed away. Now, for those of us who look on at this and go, well, where's the part where you tell people that sin's destructive <laughs> and we shouldn't let grace be licensed? You with me? Grace be licensed to just do, how, like, do whatever we want. And there's two things I'd say about this. First of all, um, the way that you really work on your, your life activity is to deal with your root identity. That's the most important thing. When you know who you are, you, you'll know what you need to do. That's, that's important too. So when Paul says things to Christians like, you're, you're not what you did. You are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That, that's going to lead to a, an identity that flows into activity in life. But even the Apostle Paul takes a moment to say that newness in Jesus should translate to the here and now. In verses, we read uh, verses uh, 16 and 17 
Um, I love 16 in 2 Corinthians 5. I've got to say this too, because Paul says this. He says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I really love this. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So what he's saying here is like, uh, in Christ, as a community of people, we don't limit people to their sin. Does that make sense? We, we don't judge them according to the flesh. We, we might, you know, we, we get to know each other. We'll, we'll start to see the things about our flesh that distinguish us in all the best and worst ways, okay? And, and Paul's like, in a community that's centered around the gospel of Jesus, we don't limit ourselves to our weaknesses. We, we, don't see, we don't even see each other through the lens of our sin. We see ourselves through the lens of the cross. We see each other through a spiritual reality. Now, earlier, though, I want you to notice this. He says this in verse 14 and 15. This ties into verse 17. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. And that's important. So we're talking about the love of God in Christ to make you and I new. And Paul says that love is not just a fact that we go, wow, I, I, I have a new identity in Jesus. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I would be apart from him. I'm the righteousness of God in him. Because Jesus took my sin on the cross and he gifts me his righteousness. Okay, that's good news. That's the love of God demonstrated for you and I. But, but Paul says this love compels our lives. It transforms our lives. It's not just a fact that we go, God, you love me. But to really encounter the love of God is to be changed. We know this, right? Love changes people. Remember them? You used to talk to them? Yeah. And they fell in love? It's been maybe months, you haven't talked to them? Love changes things. Love transforms people, especially, ultimately, the love of God. Paul's like, the love of God, the love of Christ compels us. He goes, we judge thus that if one died for all, Christ died for all, then all died, those, of, those who are in Christ, they themselves died. The idea there is like, I'm crucified with him, I, I no longer live. This isn't Andrew, this is Andrew in Christ, I have a new identity. I've died to the old. So that's the idea there. Of, I die with Jesus. My old identity is as dead as, the, as the, the death of the cross. So we die, and he died for all that those who live, notice this, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So, so here Paul is saying this. You're a new creation in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. No matter how old you feel, the good news of the gospel is true for those who have come to Christ by faith, who have recognized their sin and have looked at his righteousness, have seen the payment of the cross as sufficient for them. They've trusted in Christ, and by the Spirit, we are made new. We are washed. We are sanctified. We are justified. But Paul says that this spiritual reality should also be a present reality. It should also be a, a lived-out reality. It should be a daily reality and practical reality. And we know the contrast here, right? I mean, the simple kind of reminder theology words for these two things are salvation and sanctification. A lot of times the confusion in our lives is we're, we're not dis creating a distinction between these two things. Um, our sanctification flows out of our salvation, but our sanctification is not our salvation in the sense of it being eternal, we don't sanctify ourselves to the throne of heaven. We don't sanctify ourselves to be saved. We understand that. Uh, it's been said salvation is the work that God does by his spirit once and for all from eternity past for eternity future to save those who come to him by faith. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. We're saved from separation from God. We're saved. We're brought into, we're also saved to relationship with God. That's our salvation. This is our eternal security. This doesn't change. As long as Jesus is alive, those who are in Christ are saved. Can I get an amen? And Jesus is pretty alive, okay? He has perfected forever who? Those who are being sanctified. Sanctification is, is where we experience, listen, the newness of the gospel in the here and now. Remember those old patterns we talked about? That's not a matter of your salvation, that's done for on the cross through faith in Christ. That is the implications of your sanctification. You know, it's been said this way. Salvation is where you're saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is where God is saving you from the power of sin, the power of the old. Uh, there's also a third one here. It's glorification. There's a day coming where we will be saved from the presence of sin. We know that? Once and for all. New forever. 
But here in the meantime, with the work of sanctification, we're, we're asking God to do this. God, make us new every day. See, it's a, spirituality through the, a spiritual reality through the gospel that you are new in Christ. And the work that he's begun in your life is he wants to make you new. He wants, he wants Christians, let me say it this way. He wants us to be so much more than people who herald a message about newness. He wants us to be a people that represent newness. He wants us to be a people that, that in, in our culture, in our lives, people look on us and they go, there's just something different about you that's not the same old, same old. And they look on us and they go, what is it, what is it about you? What is that new life I haven't encountered before? That's what he wants for us. Not just to herald a message of newness, but to experience a message of newness. To live in the new. This is our sanctification. Now, we'll close with this last section here. And you could turn there if you want. It'll be up on the screen, so you could also just let me turn there for you, I guess. But Colossians chapter 3 is where Paul really wants to harp on this. He wants to harp on the fact that the newness of the gospel, the work that Christ does for those who are in him, it, it, it needs to translate into everyday newness. I love the way he says it here. This is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. He says, if then, some translations, I think ESV says it better, says, since then you were raised with Christ. This is the work of the gospel. We're raised with Jesus. He says, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. It's a new mindset. He says, for you died, same language he uses in 2 Corinthians, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. This is a really special mystery. When Christ, who is our life, appears, the real you will appear with him in glory. That's, again, glorification. We just talked about that. But Paul says this, therefore, put to death your members... Here in the now, as we're being sanctified, put to death your members which are on the earth. Again, the ESV does it a little better and says, your members which are the, the things that are earthly within you, the internal things. He lists these internal things that even someone new in Christ has to fight against. These, these internal evil desires. He says fornication, that's sexual sin, uncleanness, evil passion, evil desire, and not covetousness. And sorry, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is rooted in idolatry. He says, put those things away. Put them to death. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience for those who are not in Christ, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out your mouth, is what he says, literally. Verse 9. Don't and here's one of the ways he says not to do that. Don't lie to one another. Don't be double-tongued like the serpent. Be, be, true, be a truth-teller. Don't lie. Since you've noticed this, why? Since you have done what? Put off the old man. What, what, why are you wearing that old thing that you... No, no, no. You're, you're new. You've, you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You guys see this? Paul's like, hey, Christian, you're new in Christ... Why are you settling for the old? Do we see it? Be the new you that you are. We get that, right? Now, this is hard to do, isn't it? Um, not just because we're humans and we're fleshly, but especially because we, we love the old, don't we? There's, just some there's something about the new, and then there's something about the old. One of the hardest things that keeps us from moving from the old to the new is just that familiarity, the comfort level. It's like Paul's like, hey, you're new in Christ. You need to think different. You're like, but I've been thinking this way for so long. It works for me. It's like, does it? No. It's like, but it, it's my, it's my, I'm comfortable doing what I'm natural doing, right? You're new in Christ. Why, why do you still give in to those same desires? It's just the same old. I'm just familiar with these desires leading to my decisions. It's the same old. See, this is sanctification. The power of sanctification is getting us by the power of the Spirit to move from those old familiar patterns into the new in Jesus. You guys are with me, right? So Jesus wants to lead us out of the same old familiar way of thinking, of desiring, and of living. This is the work of his Spirit for those in Christ to bring us into 
the new, a whole new way to live. Uh, Paul is stressing this point to the church at Colossia. He's saying this. He says three things, and this is really important for those of us who are new. He says this. First, he says, if you're new in Christ, here's what you need to do. First, he says, you need to think with a new mind. Be the new you that you are. You don't, you don't have to think the way you've always thought. I know that, that can be hard to actually believe because we're so used to patterns. And, and to be honest, one of the, the most powerful things that we need the, the Holy Spirit and, the, and the, the Word of God to break in our lives is the voices that have just been on repeat in our head. It's not the voice of God. It could be the voice of a parent or a friend or, a, or an authority figure, and maybe it was something they said. And Sometimes we don't, we don't realize what the thoughts that we think, like what they actually and who they actually trace back to. You ever had that happen? Where I'm like, I, I do this all the time, and community, community's really good for this, because you're like, here's what I'm thinking. They're like, why are you thinking that? And then you go like this, well, because so-and-so said. You ever done that? And it's like, whoa, the power of this thought process. You know, Paul says this, we saw it there in Colossians 3, 2. He goes, you're new in Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Change your mind, he says. Say, think, think with a new mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Get a different mindset. Think a different way. Um, th- there's a principle here, right? Um, what you think about matters. How you think matters. Your thought life is mirrored in real life. Your thought life affects what happens in your real life. The scriptures say in the book of Proverbs that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. There's, there's, a, there's a, a translation of this. It's why Paul's like, be careful to meditate on things that are true and lovely and holy. Like, scripture would say this, like, think about what you think about, right? Think about what you think about. Don't just allow any bird that, that wants to nest in your mind to, to make its home there. Be thoughtful about what you're, for the lack of a better pun, what your thoughts are full of, okay? Be thoughtful about what your thoughts are full of. And can I tell you why? Because you can. Because you can in Christ. Well, I just can't, me, me. You you have too much of a me-centered mindset on your sanctification. The hope of your sanctification is in you. The hope of your thought patterns, you being transformed by the renewing of your mind, is not your awesome thinking ability. It's the good news of what Paul proclaims for Christians. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2.16, Who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ, is what Paul says. This This is good news for Christians. You can think differently because we have the mind of the Lord. We have the mind of Christ. In this context here, Paul is talking about the work of revelation that God does through his word, by his spirit, ultimately in the person of his son Jesus, to show us how he thinks. He's like, who, who, could, who could know the mind of God? Well, he answers that in verse 10 when he says, those whom God has revealed his mind to. <laughs> For those of us who are in Christ, he says, we, we don't have to think the same old way. Why? Because I can think, I love this, I can think like God. Let me tell you this. There's a lot of great thinkers out there. God is up there, right? He, he is the thinker of, if there's anyone you want to think like, how about the one who knows all? How about the one who's all wise? How about the one who sees all? How about the ancient of days? We want his thoughts. That's what the Bible tells us. We have them in the person of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Now, that's what this is, by the way. This isn't a mystical reality, like I'm a Christian. It's like, ooh, I got the mind of Christ. Let me go. No, it's not. It's, no, no. It's a, it's a reality that's, that's bound in the canon of Scripture. This is the mind of Christ. You want to know what God thinks? Here's where, you, here's where, where you, what you do. You say, God, I want to know what you think. So what I'm going to do is stop talking, and I'm going to start listening. I, I want to stop even the self-talk about what I think, the way that I think you think. That's big. This is how I think God thinks. It's like, you think so, huh? What about what he says about what he thinks? And that's what scripture gives us. But what Paul is saying here, and what he's emphasizing in Colossians 3, is he's not not just saying, Christian, you need to know how Jesus thinks. Because you have the mind of Christ. I mean, know what Jesus thinks. No, he's saying, think like he thinks. Let, Let it be your own mind. Let it be your own thoughts. That's what we're called to have. Paul says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you. 
which was also in Jesus. So that's a simple question to ask yourself. Next time you're doing thinking, say, is this stinking thinking? All right? Or is, is this, am I thinking the way Jesus would have me think about this? It's really important. How does Jesus think? Can I give you three things that, that just summarize the way Jesus thinks? When you see the scriptures, you see first Jesus was servant-minded. This, is, this was his mindset. That's what Philippians 2 says. Um, we have a new mind. We can think differently. Paul's like, here's, here's one of the, the biggest keys to conflicts in your life is just take on the mindset of Jesus, which is the mindset of a servant. One of the fastest ways to have conflict in a relationship is have the position of the one being served. If that's your mindset, everyone serves you, and life is about serving your desires and your plans, and even God himself, if you have that mindset, everything, that thinking is stinking thinking, and it will lead you to broken places. When everything in life is about serving you. Paul says in Philippians 2, here's how you have unity. Here's how you have joy. Here's how you have fellowship. Be a community that thinks like Jesus. How did Jesus think? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He had a servant mindset. Approach your relationships and go, how can I serve? That's huge. That's the mind of Jesus. How are you thinking about your conflicts and your relationships? The mind of Christ is servant-minded. Jesus also thinks scripture-minded. We know this, right? Like if you, if you bump Jesus, the Bible comes out. Do you get it? Jesus' mind was bathed in the Bible. Just saturated in scripture. It comes out of him in every situation. In temptation, what came out? Scripture. In anxiety, what came out? Scripture. When he was suffering, what came out? Psalm 22, Scripture. Jesus was Scripture. Everything he, he, he navigated, he thought through with a, a biblical mindset, a biblical worldview. It's what we're called to do as well. Allow God's word to saturate our minds, to affect our thinking. And lastly, uh, Jesus was sober-minded. One of the best ways you see this is when you see him in contrast with his disciples, who are often the opposite. The opposite of sober, I guess, but in a mindset, you know? Like all over the place, scattered, here to there, here to there, and, and in the face of challenge and trial and difficulty, you, you have Jesus who has his face set like a flint to what God's called him to do. He has a sober mind. Um, Peter learns this from him, and so Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Don't be letting your loins of your mind hang all out like it's like in Saturday with the boys, okay? Gird those loins up. All right? Be on top of it and be sober-minded. No, this is important. The idea there is like, don't just be a victim to, to every single thought that floods your mind. Don't own every thought is coming from you. Recognize there's an enemy. Recognize that there's truth. Have the scriptures in your mind. Keep your mind stayed on God. And don't just be carried away with the wind of thought and doctrine. Think like Jesus. Think soberly. Think rightly. The mind of Christ. Paul also says this. He says, don't just think with a new mind, but desire, notice this, with a new heart. We're new in Christ, and so we should be the new, the new people that we are. Be the new you that you are. How? I need to think with a new mind. But then he tells them, you also need to desire with a new heart. This is sanctification. This is really interesting. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And Paul lists this like litany of sinful desires that can strongly dominate the human heart. We should say the fallen heart. The fallen heart, the sinful heart, it's prone towards these strong things. I mean, pick your, your passion, okay? Pick your evil desire. And, and Paul is pointing out here that, that the, the things that happen, there's what happens on the outside, but then there's these like evil desires on the inside that that matter, because they're the precursor. Those sinful desires are the precursor to sinful decisions. Those sinful desires, your desires matter. The strength of them. And, and Paul is saying, you've got to kill these strong desires. James says it this way. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. He's not the tempter. We know who that is. But each person is tempted into sin when he's drawn away by what? His own desires and enticed. And then when he's, his desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. This is where, this is where strong desires can lead to. 
Sometimes it just starts with that too. You know what I'm saying? It's not even like a, it's not even a massive desire. Sometimes it's just allowing space for a, like a little dose of sinful desire in our hearts. You just kind of look, it just kind of glimmers. You're just like, hmm, right? You just kind of do your thing. You're just kind of peeking. But that grows. That's what, that's what James says, what Paul emphasizes, that, that sin, sin is relentless. The enemy is relentless. The, those evil, strong, sinful desires left unchecked will check you. They'll, they'll control you. Those sinful, he says, so what do you need to do? You need to put them to death. Isn't that interesting? That's what he says. He says, put those sinful desires to death. Now, why is he able to say this? And the answer is because you're new. <laughs> because you're new in Jesus. And in Jesus, you have more. This is, a, this is a gospel truth for those of us who are in Christ, who, by the way, know what it's like to have strong, sinful desires. Okay? And, and can I also say this? That church community is not a place to suppress your sinful desires. So it, well, hold on. That did not come out correctly. Um, please suppress your sinful desires. Let me use a, di- a different and better word. John Boy, you loved that, didn't you, dude? I know John Boy loved that especially. All right? Church is not a place to, listen, hide and try to cover over your sinful desires because if people really knew what I struggled with and what I was tempted with, I think that's the tendency is like, I don't want anybody to know this. I'm not doing it, but I don't want to share anybody that this is my desire because I don't want to be condemned. But what ends up happening is those desires that are left in the dark, they grow into actions. So church... Church is the place to suppress your sinful desires. It's also a place to conf- confess your sinful desires, okay? So, so Paul is like, don't, don't allow those things to rule in you. You don't have to. Why? Because you have more than just strong sinful desires. You see, in Christ, you also have deep spiritual desires. Listen, this is the battle of sanctification. Does anybody know this war? Does anybody know the war between your strong desires and your deep desires? Everybody, anybody ever face that? You have strong desires. Like you go, I have a strong desire to be disciplined. Or rather, we'll say it this way. You have a deep desire. That's better, right? A deep desire to be disciplined. That's your, let's say that's your deepest desire. I want to be a disciplined person. But you have the strong desire called sleep. It's always getting in the way of your deep desire, isn't it? You, have a, you had a deep desire this year to be that new you. <laughs> but your bed is nice. That pillow is nice. Those comfort. With that blanket at full speed and those comforts and the bo- it's just nice, okay? Maybe you say, I have, a, I have a deep desire to be the best parent I could be to my kids in this short window. But then you have these strong desires to be lazy and distracted. You have these strong desires to, listen, check your phone again for the one millionth time that hour. Deep desires. I have a deep desire, a deep desire to know Jesus intimately, to not be a religious person alone, but to be a spiritual person filled with the Spirit of God, walking and abiding in Jesus. That's my deepest desire. What are the strong desires that you have to war against? And really, this is the Christian life. Sin is when we, we take our deep desires and we submit them to our strong desires. Obedience is when we take our strong desires and we submit them to our deepest desires. And we say, I want this more than I want this now. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying. As a Christian, you've got to kill, that's the language he used, put to death those desires within you. And the way that we do that is we say, Jesus, thank you for my new heart. You gave me a new heart in you to desire new things. Stir up my heart for you. I want to desire you alone. I'll invite the, the band to come up as we close out here. And then lastly, Paul says this. He says, you got to live with a new nature. Live with a new nature. Uh, he, he says, put to death those desires that are within you because you have a new heart. Desire the things of God. Feed those desires. He says, think with a new mind. You have the mind of Christ. Think the way Jesus would think. And then lastly, he says, live with a new nature. Live and act and be differently because you're more than your human nature. You're filled with the Spirit of God, the the power of Almighty God. The same power that rose Christ from the dead dwells within you and promises to give life to your mortal body, to your human nature. He says, 
You're also to put off these things. Put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. These are the things of your, of your, of your human nature. That's sin. That, that's who you were apart from Christ. All you could do was those things. But in Jesus, he says, you've put on the new man who's renewed according, in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. God promised this in Ezekiel for his people. This is the future. This is our last scripture for today. He says, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. The gospel proclaims that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The spirit draws us in a life of, of discipleship to Jesus to learn to think with a new mind that I've been given in Jesus. I don't have to think like I used to think. I have the mind of Christ think like him I also don't have to desire and just be, be a victim and serve whatever desire my heart which can be deceptive leads me into I submit my strong desires to my deep desire which is to know Jesus and when it comes to my wrestle with my decisions and my sin I'm not just a victim to human nature I've put on Christ and Peter says that we are partakers of a divine nature of the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks all about this in Romans when he's like, this law that's in my members. <laughs> There's the law of God which tells me what to do. There's the law of, almost like the law of gravity. There's the law of Andrew's sinfulness, which is always at odds with God's law. And it keeps me from doing what he's called me to do. But then Paul says, that there's the law of the Spirit of life for those who are in Jesus, who no longer live their minds on the law and the minds according to the things of the flesh but through the things of the spirit this is what we go into a new week with a God who makes all things new a God who's listen he's making you new in his timing in his way trust him and devote yourself to learning his new way